welcome back to a beautiful Oscar nominations morning. This is Behind the Lens, and I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the lines with the movers and shakers of film and television makers. And boy, we've got a lot to celebrate this morning. It's been a busy week uh, with Critics Awards, uh, including my own guild, Hollywood Critics Association. Last night was, uh, Saturday night was Los Angeles Film Critics Association, uh, Cr- Film Critics Society. Last night was Critics Choice Association. Of course, Oscar nominations were this morning. Um, lots of doings, a lot of surprises, a lot of snubs all around. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about today's show before we dive into some Oscar chatter. Um, joining us at the midpoint of the show, I'm very thrilled, uh, to have this talented director, writer, director, filmmaker calling in Liz Manischel. Liz was on the show several years ago for her first feature called Bread and Butter. She was on the show along with Micah Hauptman and Bobby Moynihan. Uh, Liz is now back with her sophomore feature called Speed of Life. And what happens when David Bowie dies and it creates a rift in the entire universe? Um, There's a little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of rom-com, a lot of fun. Uh, So I can't wait to talk to Liz about this little gem of a film. Uh, Also, shortly, we may have a surprise Oscar nominee calling in this morning. I do not know. Um, Yeah, just checked. Haven't heard anything. Uh, So we may or may not. But at some point this morning, you are going to hear, since it was one of the big nominees this morning, uh, Jojo Rabbit, uh, my... An excerpt of my exclusive interview with the cinematographer Mihai Malamare. Um, although Mihai did not get an Oscar nomination for Best Cinematography, the cinematography is a very integral part of any film, and particularly Jojo Rabbit, uh, considering it, the story is told from the perspective of a 10-year-old. So that calls into question your POV, your horizon lines. Uh, then the saturation, the color, the lighting working with Taika. Um, so I think you're going to find it, especially the filmmakers out there, because the, the portion of the interview that I hope to play this morning uh, deals with Mihai's choice of the SXT Sony camera, uh, various and sundry lenses, uh, including the Hawk V-Light, uh, and as well as lighting, particular uh, the entire film, distinguishing between the interiors, the exteriors. Um, It's really interesting and uh, a lot of techie stuff in there for uh, the directors and the DPs who are listening to the show. So we'll get to that in a minute, but hopefully we will. But right now, let's talk Oscar nominations. You know, Thursday night uh, were the Hollywood Critics Association Awards. I was there. I had the ultimate honor of presenting a brand new award, an inaugural award to my dear friend, writer, director, producer, Dion Taylor. Um, it set the, I think, it, giving the Inspire Award set the tone of the night. Uh, kudos to our founder, Scott Menzel, for creating this award because 
movies are all about inspiring. Inspiring to take up a cause. Inspiring just to be entertained. Inspiring to make other movies. Uh, inspiring to want to act. Uh, to direct. To be a DP. To, to work in sound. To work in VFX. Uh, so that was a real thrill to get to uh, present to Dion. We had great winners at the HCAs. 1917. Best picture. Actually, best action war picture. Uh, Rocket Man and Booksmart were best comedy and musicals and musical. There was a tie for them. Now this morning, Rocket Man got snubbed with Oscar, but for best original song uh, for Elton and Bernie Topin. Uh, Taron Edgerton was overlooked and snubbed the film as a whole, which I f- and the biggest surprise for me, a snub of Julian Day in his costuming. Julian was snubbed last year with Bohemian Rhapsody and again this year. Academy members, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Um, that was a real shock. Um, trying to look at my notes here. I have, I have, if, you're, if you're watching us on, on the Facebook live stream on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook uh, page, you will see I have notes all over the place. Uh, most of which were thrown together this morning after Oscar nominations were announced at 5.30. Um, so uh, what do we have here? And if you're looking on our tablescape, all of the, fil- all of the screeners that are out here uh, on the tablescape, these are all Oscar nominees. Many are Golden Globe winners. Many are Critics' Choice Awards winners. Many are Hollywood Critics Association winners. Uh, you know, a lot of people are, you know, this morning, Joker walked away with 11 nominations, including Best Picture. Irishman walked away with 10, including Best Picture. 1917, 10 nominations, including Best Picture. Sam Mendes as director. And of course, Roger Deakins for Cinematographer. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Quentin picks up 10 nominations for his love letter to Hollywood. Um, And, of course, Brad Pitt was nominated. Brad Pitt has been cleaning up everywhere. Uh, I fully expect Brad Pitt to pick up the the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, I'm looking here. I'm looking here. Renee Zellweger. Picked up after winning the Golden Globe, after winning the Critics' Choice Award, she did not win the Hollywood Critics Award, uh, or nor did she win the L.A. Film Critics Association Award. Uh, but I fully expect Renee to pick up an Oscar for her work in Judy after this morning's nomination. Uh, interesting crop with actors in a leading role: Antonio Banderas. For Pain and Glory. It's his first Oscar nomination. Leonardo DiCaprio. Leo and Brad both picked up nominations. Leo's got it for Best Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. As to be expected, Adam Driver picked up a Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Marriage Story. Marriage Story also uh, came in with a Best Feature. Where is my list? There it is. Uh, <laughs> with the Best Motion Picture of the Year award. 
Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, best actor nominee for Joker, and right now he it looks to be the the at the forefront of the pack. And Jonathan Price, which I'm so happy to see, um, best actor nomination for the two popes. Uh, it, best actor in a supporting role went right down the line as we have seen throughout the Guild Awards and the Critics Association Awards. Tom Hanks, Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci. Brad Pitt. Um, but again, I fully expect to see Brad Pitt walk away with the Oscar on February the 9th. Performance by an actress in a leading role. We had some surprises here. Cynthia Revo for Harriet. Scar jo, Scarlett Johansson for Best Actress for Marriage Story. She also picked up a Best Supporting Actress nomination for Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Shersha Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and of course, as I mentioned, Renee Zellweger for Judy. Uh, actress in a supporting role. Here was a real surprise, Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, the sole award for the film. Laura Dern, who was the expected, who may still be the front runner, but I think she may get some, uh, Get some pressure here. Kathy Bates may be hot on her tail. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, again, for Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh for Little Women. Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Animated feature. This came as a surprise to a lot of people this morning. Uh, Frozen 2 was not nominated. We have How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, which I'm so excited about. The visual effects took a new leap. Uh, with that film. The story is pure heart. I truly love that film. I also love I Lost My Body. You've heard me talk about that before. Uh, either probably on the 27th, uh, you will he hear my exclusive interview with Jeremy Clapin and Mark Du Pontevice, the filmmakers of I Lost My Body. Missing Link, Laika, they got their Oscar nom. Toy Story 4, of course. A surprise that I'm happy to see is Klaus. Netflix little gem, Klaus. Celebration of 2D animation. It is utterly charming. That picked up an Oscar nom for Best Animated Feature. When it came to cinematography, cinematography was a very, very difficult category this year. Um, I absolutely love what... Ed Lockman did with Dark Waters, the subtlety of of what he brought to the table in telling this wonder this important story along with Todd Haynes, he was overlooked. But Rodrigo Prieto picked up a nod for The Irishman, Lauren Scher for The Joker, Jaron Blaschke for The Lighthouse, black and white folks, Roger Deakins for 1917. And Robert Richardson, another legend for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Costume design, as I said, I'm heartbroken, I'm disappointed, and I don't know what Academy members are thinking. Uh, achievement in costume design. The Irishman, Sandy Powell, picks up another nomination this year, along with Chris Peterson, for that film. Myas Rubio for Jojo Rabbit. Mark Bridges for Joker. Jacqueline Duran who never ceases to amaze for Little Women, 
and Ariane Phillips for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Our directors right down the line again as what we've seen all awards season. Scorsese, Phillips, Mendez, Tarantino, and Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho was one of the big winners at the HCA Awards on Thursday night. Uh, and he is loved. The film is beloved. Uh, so this could, this could be interesting what happens with Oscar, with Parasite, and Bong Joon-ho. Best Documentary Feature, um, American Factory. For those of you that don't know, that film was produced by Higher Ground Productions, Participant Media, and Netflix. Uh, Higher Ground is Barack and Michelle Obama's production company. Uh, so American Factory picks up an Oscar nomination. Could we add president and Oscar winner to Obama's name? We'll find out. Uh, an important, another important documentary that was nominated, The Edge of Democracy, and two incredible docs. Uh, I've got to tell you, I, I'm leaning towards For Sama, uh, shot in Syria, Syrian filmmaker, her doctor husband, uh, during the bombing of Aleppo. And then Honeyland, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous film about a way of life uh, that is disappearing in this world today. All wonderful choices. I'm surprised Pavarotti was overlooked. More surprised that Apollo 11 was snubbed. Uh, that really, that was a shocker to me. A real shocker to me. Um, already this morning, everybody's talking about no women directors were nominated. Um, I love women directors. There are many really excellent women directors out there. We had many excellent women directors direct films in 2019. You heard a lot of them on this show. Um, but when you look at the end work, that's, it's every element of a film. When you're looking at a best director, bring it all together. And as much as I hate to say it, you look at what Sam Mendes did. You look at what Tarantino did. And some of the other film, they just don't quite measure up. It's, you know, maybe we need to, the Academy needs to expand the best director category, expand it to a potential 10 so it mirrors the best picture category. I think that's something that uh, needs to be considered in the future. Unless you want to do a male and female directing category, Many of the critics associations are doing it. HCA does it. Um, so that's another, another possibility. But there needs to be a conversation about this. The conversation has started. Uh, there needs to be more conversation on it. Um, best editing. Surprise here for me was that Lee Smith did not pick up an Oscar nomination for 1917. Those that did are Ford versus Ferrari, uh, Michael McClusker and Andrew Buckland. Of course, Thelma Schoenmaker, The Irishman, Tom Eagles for Jojo Rabbit, Jeff Groth for Joker, and Yang Jinmo for Parasite. Interesting category. Um, I know Thelma is beloved by all. I've had the pleasure in the past of speaking with her several times. 
uh, in sit-down interviews, uh, one tied in with TCM Film Festival. Uh, I personally am quite partial to the editing in Ford versus Ferrari out of these nominees. I would have gone with Lee Smith for 1917, uh, but he wasn't nominated. Best International Feature of the Year. Corpus Christi came out of nowhere. A wonderful marketing campaign put that into the Academy's hands, into the voters' hands. Uh, Honeyland, uh, which also picked up the Best Documentary and is also nominated for Best International Feature. Les Miserables, Pain and Glory, and, of course, Parasite. Makeup and hairstyling, Bombshell, Joker, Judy, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil in 1917. I think, for my money, it's going to come down to Bombshell and Judy uh, in this particular case. Uh, Score, Joker has been winning big. Hilder has been winning big with Joker through the the Critics Awards. Uh, My personal favorite, Alexander Desplat for Little Women, Alexander picked up his Oscar nomination this morning. Randy Newman nominated for Marriage Story. Thomas Newman nominated for 1917, which is a glorious score. And based on the box office, 1917, you all were at the box office to see 1917 over the weekend. Um, You know how beautiful and rich and lush Thomas Newman's score is with that film. And what a masterpiece. That is the word for 1917. It is a masterpiece. And also, for his 52nd Oscar nomination, John Williams uh, picked up it's his 49th for score, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, then individual, you know, original song. We've got I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away from Toy Story 4, Randy Newman, I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man, the sole nomination for Rocket Man, Elton John and Bernie Toppin, I'm Standing With You uh, from Breakthrough, Diane Warren picks up another Oscar nomination, Into the Unknown, Oh Parents, Oh Parents. And by the way, on January 17th, The sing-along version of Frozen 2 hits theaters for a limited time. Uh, So get ready, Mom and Dad. Uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez pick up another Oscar nomination for that. And then Stand Up from Harriet. Joshua Bryan Campbell and Cynthia Erivo got a nomination there. Our Our best motion picture of the year. And I love... I love all but one and a half. Ford versus Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. And so much of what we see in these Best Picture nominees, a lot of the tone, the visual tonal bandwidth, the emotional tonal bandwidth, is falling on production design this year. And an outstanding outstanding nominees for production design. Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. I have to say, Rob Vincent, his production design in Jojo Rabbit is exquisite. And I say that because of what you see in the town in which Jojo lives. 
So often, and this is something distinctive about Miha's cinematography with Jojo Rabbit as well, it's colorful. It picks up on that saturation, the heightened sensibilities of a 10-year-old child who fantasizes that Adolf Hitler is his best friend. Um, But people don't realize the beauty of the architecture in the region, the the wood, the framing, the symmetry, um, the, the design of windows. I grew up with, my grandparents were from Germany and uh, all of my dad's extended family, many are still in Germany, generations to this day. So I saw pictures from the World War II era and earlier. And to see them in color and to see the detail and the authenticity that Ra and his set decorator, Nora Sapkova, brought, just absolutely magnificent. Um, I have to say, and as much as I love their work, Barbara Ling and Nancy Hay with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, again, bringing to life Hollywood in its heyday in those 60s and late 60s, early 70s. Those are definitely my two picks for achievement in production design. Um, sound editing, sound is a toughie, and I'm so disappointed that the boy, that Mark Steckinger and his team at Formosa did not. They made the short list, but they didn't pick up uh, anything for sound mixing or sound editing. Sound editing, we've got Ford versus Ferrari, Joker, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker. In all honesty, I have to go with Ford versus Ferrari uh, for my own personal choice in this one. Uh, Achievement in sound mixing. Legendary Gary Rydstrom, Tom Johnson, and Mark Ulano nominated for Ad Astra. And again, sound mixing, Ford versus Ferrari. Paul Massey, David uh, Giammarco, and Stephen Morrow. Joker, Tom Zanich, Dean Zipancic, and Todd Maitland. 1917, really nice mix. As with Ford versus Ferrari, 1917 also really nice sound mix. Uh, this time by Mark Taylor and Stuart Wilson, and then of course Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, visual effects, the lone award for Avengers Endgame. Everybody was hoping it might be one of the ten. Only nine films were nominated for Best Picture this year. Um, everyone was hoping for Avengers Endgame to make it in there. It did not, but picked up a nomination for The Boys at Weta Digital, led by Matt Aiken. Uh, Then The Irishman, visual effects, The Lion King, 1917, and Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. This is going to be very interesting to see how this category plays out. Again, I'm somewhat disappointed that Guy Williams and his team from Weta They made the shortlist for Gemini Man, the technology for which and what they achieved and presented is masterful. Uh, They didn't make the final cut. Adapted screenplay. Irishman, Jojo Rabbit. Taika picks that up. Uh, Joker, Little Women, Greta Gerwig's adaptation, and The Two Popes. I love Anthony McCartan's Adapt screenplay for the two popes. I've talked about it before on the show. I also love Tyka's adapted screenplay for Jojo Rabbit. I would be happy with either one of them winning. Um, 
And then original screenplay, Knives Out. I think that was a big surprise to people. Uh, Ryan Johnson, Marriage Story by Noah Baumbach, 1917, Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns, Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then Parasite, Bong Joon-ho. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Best Original Screenplay does play out. Um, I'm, I'm really, ooh, that, that, for me, that, that's a toughie. That's a toughie. Knives Out is a flawless whodunit. There are no holes in the structure. There are no holes in the murder mystery. Uh, just when you think you figured out who done it, mm, that ain't who done it. Ryan does an amazing job with that script. Um, similarly, Sam Mendez taking recollections from his own family, from his grandfather, um, and bringing and using that to help build. 1917 and of course Quentin's love letter once upon a time in Hollywood uh it's this is going to be a really interesting interesting Oscars on the ninth uh Jennifer Lopez people are are moaning that uh she did not pick up an Oscar nomination this morning uh for best supporting actress she's gotten Golden Globes and SAG Award nominations and don't forget people SAG awards are January 19th so a lot of the actors still can still pick up more hardware before uh, Oscar night um, but she did uh, JLo did pick up uh, a win at the LA Film Critics Society Awards on Saturday night uh, Summer Amaze that Jamie Foxx did not pick up anything for Just Mercy Similarly, for Alfre Woodard, for Clemency. Unfortunately, I don't think there was enough of a push to get those two films out there. Uh, they both screened very late in the year. Just Mercy, Jamie Foxx is exceptional. Uh, I think the more powerful performance in that film is Michael B. Jordan. Uh, and the way he plays, you know, a young attorney fresh out of law school and who goes into the Deep South and chooses when he when he could go to any law firm in the country uh, as a Harvard grad. Um, he chooses to go into an impoverished community and essentially do pro bono work with death row prisoners uh, and those convicted of of harsh crimes. Similarly, Alfre Woodard, Clemency, her performance in Clemency is mesmerizing. It is, as I talked about on last week's show, this is a film told from a perspective we have never seen before. Uh, this is a female warden in a male prison. With It's a male death row prison. She is impeccable. But again, I don't think that it got out there uh, to, for enough people to see. Um, interesting, a lot of people were holding out hope for Aquafina this morning. Um, she won Golden Globe, the first woman of Asian descent to win a lead actress Golden Globe. Um, people are also talking that Lulu Wang was also not, the director was not uh, nominated this morning. 
But, you know, neither was Robert De Niro for The Irishman. So, you know, a lot of interesting, uh, interesting things. You know, most of the awards, that uh, the nominations this morning, fall in line with what we've seen uh, through the award season. And you have to remember, this is also a very abbreviated award season uh, because of the Olympics and NBC and, and programming changes and all of this. Um, things are moved up. Um, so the Oscars are going to be on the 9th. The Spirit Awards, Film Independent Spirit Awards, which now IFC is referring to as the ISAs, the Independent Spirit Awards, leave off the Film Independent Spirit Award part. Um, that's February 8th on the beach. A lot of different nominees. J-Lo. Um... Mary Kay Place. Uh, we've got a lot of female directors nominated. A lot of the smaller indie gems that came out during the year. So I think there'll be a lot of hardware going around. Renee Zellweger does have a Spirit Award nomination also. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, will Spirit Award members vote for Renee or will they go... With someone with J Lo or someone else, we'll talk more about the Spirit Awards as we get closer. Um, but Oscar nominations are the hot topic this morning. So let's see what are we doing here. All right. So we do not have okay our special guest. He is tied up, so we are not having him call in this morning. But we are, we do have coming on the line here in just a moment. Okay, it's going to be Liz Manichel. Okay, let's move all of this stuff. And Pam's got her. She's on hold. All right. So let's welcome on this glorious Oscar nominations morning. <laughs> You got, you got Liz. You got, you got a lot to, a lot to top here. Welcome, welcome. Oh, I will not. <laughs> I will not talk any of this at all. But thank you for the moment. I am so thrilled to have you back on the show. It's been a few yeah. years since Bread and Butter. Um, the, you were on the show then. Micah joined you. Bobby Moynihan. I had all three of you on. <laughs> well, it was amazing. Thank you for inviting me back. I hope I didn't, um, I don't know, embarrass myself then. I will embarrass myself today. I guarantee you. But thank you for being willing to support us. It's amazing. Oh, my God. I, the minute I got the, you know, the minute I got the email about Speed of Life, I'm like, oh, my God, it took her long enough to make another film. Uh, that, that was the first, <laughs> my first thought. Uh, and my second one is, oh, thank God she did. Um, because bread, bread and butter was just so charming. And of course, uh, am I mistaken? Or as I was watching this film at around the 58 minute mark, and we have one couple sitting on a bed watching television, a movie on TV. Was that <laughs> not Micah Hauptman's face on screen in bread and butter? It was. Yeah. My, um, <laughs> my partner who is Sean, who plays, the guy who was on screen, um, who plays Philip in the film Speed of Life, uh, he likes to create 
a lot of Easter eggs. <laughs> so he's constantly looking for ways to refer to our life or our film in everything we do. So we had to just throw back to bread and butter. Yeah. Well, I saw that and I started laughing uh, <laughs> because it's like, okay, you know, I thought that was perfect. And considering the themes in bread and butter and considering the theme, some of the themes you have here in Speed of Life, it flows in so beautifully, Liz. It really does. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so now tell everybody the premise of Speed of Life. This, I just love the whole idea of this film. Well, there's, there's two premises, right? So the first one is um, what we do to get people to rent the movie and to watch it in the first place. And so my pitch is, uh, my movie is about what happens if David Bowie's death created a rift in time and space and that wormhole just happened to be in a couple's apartment. And <laughs> that's my pitch, right? Because usually that'll excite someone hearing about David Bowie and wormholes. Um, but ultimately, the film is actually about a woman dealing with the trauma of a lost love. And it's all um, disguised into this... Um, the science fiction-esque uh, surface, I would say. And I think the, you, you, because this film you have, you deal with loss, regret, the whole idea of what if, changing yeah. your destiny. Um, and I find, I always find those things very interesting, but then you dig even deeper. Um, and you've mm. got a lot of co social commentary going on in this film uh, in terms of, <laughs> Once you hit 60, you get put into a government home. Okay, I'm... Yeah, it's a little satirical. <laughs> uh, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. 62, I should be in a government well, home in your film. Well, I, I always want to be super clear because I always think that people... Um, I'm worried that people will see the film and think that I think 60 is old. I clearly do not, and no, no. one should. The age was picked because... It was the way for us to work with Anne Dowd, A, yeah. and B, um, because it was supposed to be absurdly young to make a comment on yeah. um, our incredibly ageist society that we live in. Well, and then you also tackle the whole idea of losing human touch. Here we've got, mm -hmm. we first meet Anne Dowd's character as a young girl in 1992 when she's painting a David Bowie lightning bolt on her face in the bathroom mirror, <laughs> uh, which somehow that uh, somehow I get the impression you did that. Um, well, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're laughing. You okay. did. Maybe not full but color. I do love David Bowie. Okay, but then you jump to 2016. Bowie dies, um, and then we jump to 2040. The age at which Ann Dowd's character would now be just before her 60th birthday. Um, and it, in 2040, Siri has, has gone to new lengths here. We've got a combination of Big Brother and Siri. Um, Big Brother knows everything with these little devices in every room. And I, I, just, I have to laugh. You've got Ann Dowd's character of June in the bathroom, sitting on a toilet, and the little thing on the wall is talking to her about hygiene uh, and right. bacteria count. And it's like, 
you the absurdities in here. But when you stop and think where the world is going, it's very easy to see this playing out. So you pu- you get a little Orwellian here, and then you toss in technology on top of that, and it really makes for a great commentary on losing human touch with each other you don't dial phones uh that you just talk into earpieces pieces similar to earbuds today uh but but more so but people aren't connecting they don't know what life is they don't know what you know it's like oh you mean old people that used to walk around on the streets alone and (laughs) nobody's out walking around you have June, you have her young love, uh, Edward, who disappears into this into this time rift, into this wormhole or vortex. Uh, then you've got a beautiful performance by Jeff Perry as June's as June's friend in 2040, essentially her BFF. And then you have two young characters. You've got uh, uh, Samuel's daughter, Laura, and you've got her neighbor, Philip, who had never met, but all of a sudden it's because a bird. There's a bird. She hasn't seen a bird. There's a bird. Um, So all of these things about human connection and disconnect, you bring all of this into play, and you Mm -hmm. do it so beautifully and under, under the guise of a time travel situation. Um, how challenging was it not just to incorporate all those elements, but to interweave it with the whole idea of time travel, the vortex wormhole? <laughs> well, first of all, I just wanted to thank you for your thoughtful rating of the film. Um, I don't, I sound, I don't know if I, I'm hoping I don't sound bitter, but I've had some reviews lately who are disappointed because our film is not sci-fi enough or doesn't integrate Bowie enough. And I just really like get so happy when someone sees the film for what it is. And so just thank you for that in the oh, first place. You're welcome. Um, integration of the wormhole and the, you know, all the sci-fi elements were like the least interesting parts to me in this mm-hmm. film. So it actually was quite difficult. I mean, I do think we are headed towards a pretty isolated future, and Mm -hmm. that is some of the commentary I was making. Um, But I was really interested in showing a female character over the age of, you know, 40, and for, you know, over the age of 55, um, who has a sexuality, who has a depth, who has agency, that was the most exciting part for me to depict. But yeah, everything else became incredibly complicated. Figuring out the rules of time travel, figuring out what kind of statement we want to make, grand statement we want to make about climate change and politics and culture. It felt uh, like a lot of pressure. But, you know, you navigated it so well. How did you actually approach it and break it down? Were you making little three by five cards and and thumbtacking them all over the wall, um, and moving <laughs> them around? Because with the elements that you have here, uh, for my mind, that would be the easiest way 
It's like you come up with, the, okay, here's this concept, here's this, here's dialogue for this, and then you start shifting. I mean, wow, I wish I were as thoughtful as um, I'm being painted out to be in this conversation. Uh, <laughs> it really is, I'm cheap, and I was thinking, what is invisible technology, or what is technology that my production designer can um, fabricate with resources at our fingertips, and what are you know, comments I can make on society that are easily accessible to me using stock footage. So we had a lot of stock footage that had um, beach scenes and water scenes and scuba diving. And so we made a comment about how we feel, you know, um, coastlines are going to erode and uh, we're all going to be on front property in Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, everything was dictated by resources. Um and that's like really what the creative process was. What do we have access to? And I will make a comment on society or we'll, we'll find meaning out of that. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to commend Marcy Mott, your production designer, um, because immediately in the 2016 sequence, we have June and Edward Anytime you got a guy named Edward, I got a brother named Edward. They're a problem. Um, I got a nephew named Edward too. He's a problem. So, um, but you've got June and Edward together, and they're having this argument. But the camera, and this is kudos to Julia Swain's camera work. And Julia's work, I love. I'm a big fan of hers. Going back to her short, I blame Monty Hall. Oh, she's just such a hero. I love her so And much. then she did Cassidy Red, which is gorgeous. Uh, I oh. saw that at DWF a couple years ago. But mm-hmm. you've got the camera picks up the attention to detail that Marcy brings in the production design in June and Edward's house. Um, mm-hmm. We've got drapes that have white drapes with the brown, thin tree branches, twigs mm-hmm. on the drapes. We go to 2040, same house. We now have drapes and wallpaper that is lush green and leafy. Life has gone on. Things have grown. Beautiful metaphoric tie-in there. And then we go into June's bedroom, and there are the shadow boxes on the wall that are greenery. They're flowers, patches of grass. Um, You know, they're beautiful. But life, her life has grown so much from those bare bones beginnings of 2016 and you see the vibrancy and richness even though she has been pining away for edward for 24 years um (laughs) her life is is very full and rich and lush and you show that with the production design with the jewelry that june makes and those that, that detail is so precious in this film. I love that interpretation. I mean, I think another part of it that Clark um, and I were exploring is the idea of, are we going to have lush forests in, you know, 24 mm-hmm. years, or at that time, it's 24 years, now it'd be 20 years. Um, what is the environment going to be like? And so Marcy and I discussed, you know, if she can't go out, if she's worried about society judging her and her age, Let's bring the outside in. Mm-hmm. So if you look, there's this fabulous table that's also a terrarium. 
in the living room mm-hmm. of Tommy Um Also, to bring the outside in so that she feels like she can be surrounded by that kind of um, that lushness that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, I mean it. You know, on multiple la- on multiple layers, the metaphor is there, and and the commentary is there, and seeing it framed in shadow boxes on walls, seeing the greenery and flowers, that right there, she needs that life to breathe. She needs yeah. the oxygen that that puts into the air, and. Mm which is why she is still vital and vibrant and doesn't want to go to a government home when she turns 60 years old. Uh, <laughs> so. Well, I agree. I am on board for that. <laughs> you know, the casting here is so exemplary, Liz. Particularly, you've got Ann Dowd. But, oh my God, Allison Tolman? <laughs> okay, they. she looks like a young Ann Dowd. Yeah, and it was almost accidental. I mean, I was looking for someone to somewhat match with Anne, but I never was expecting to really sell it because I thought that would be impossible. Um, and ultimately, I have always been a big fan of Alison Tolman, and I just wanted to work with her. And then I looked up their height online, and they were the same height. And then... I realized that they had very different hair color and their eye color was both blue and um, I just went for it. But um, it was never, the, ne- the goal was never to find an exact, rep- exact replica because how, how can I, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, the similarity is, is, is so strong. The visual similarity is so strong that it just, the believability factor when we jump 24 years into the future, it's, it's a no-brainer. You don't question it at all. It's like, okay, this is June. You know, so uh, I, I just, I loved that. But then you've also got to get people that are, are compatible. And I think you did a great job with Ray Santiago. A great job with Ray Santiago uh, casting him okay. as Edward. But particularly Jeff Perry as Samuel. Um, that's the kind of BFF that everybody in their ARP ages should want. That's the kind of BFF that anybody should want, really. <laughs> um, well, Jeff was a joy to work with, too. And I, they're good friends, Anne and Jeff. And I mean, pretty much everyone signed on to work with Anne. Um, and it was Anne's preference for Jeff to play that role and we were only benefiting from that because I've been a fan of Jeff for a while. And of course, then some guy named Sean Wright gets tossed in there as, <laughs> as you know, as Philip, which, and this is something else you do. You create a parallel relationship in 2040 oh. of, you know, another couple. They are just starting out much as Edward and June were. 24 years ago, much as June and Samuel could be if she would let go of the past. Um, I do envy her for the fact that she inherited the house that they lived in 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 2016, so she didn't have to pay any mortgage on it. Um, Right. So here we are in (laughs) 2040, and she's still not paying mortgage. So, woohoo, good on her. Uh, 
<laughs> but, you know, you do such a beautiful job of setting up these generational stories and how we've got Laura and Philip. They don't know. They don't even understand what life was like 24 years ago. You, as you well know, you talk to a lot of millennials now. What's a rotary <laughs> phone? What's a Rolodex? Um, or, you know, the woman on the Canadian, you know, game show the other night. And it's named Popeye's favorite food. And she says chicken. Um, what? Oh, yeah. It's all over. It's all over the internet. You have to look for it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Name name Popeye's favorite food. Family it was it was on the Canadian Family Feud. And she goes, I know My this coworkers. it's chicken. It's chicken. Oh gosh. And that's crazy. <laughs> her own family, I think, wanted to kill her. But that just shows the 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 divide, the generational divide. And yeah. we see that here. It's like we haven't seen a bird. Okay, how do you bury it? Do you need a shovel? Do you need a spoon? Uh, if, you, <laughs> if you find a dead bird. Um, all these little things about life. And uh, I'm just so in love with all of these elements, Liz. Truly mm. wonderfully done. Oh, I wish I talked to you like two days ago when I was very bummed and scared and worried about the reception of this film. It's just like... I, I'm shocked that we're, you know, being recorded because this feels like a very nice compliment session. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Now, talk to me about working with Julia Swain and designing your visual tonal bandwidth through light and lens. Um, because you oh, have you have a, 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 um, a very Julia's light tone happening here. Photographer. Um, I would say we, we had basically just had long conversations and I would send references, and we'd sit down, and we'd put the shot list together. Um, and we wanted to do a very distinct look, uh, a difference between the look in 2040 and 2016. So we started with the aspect ratio, mm -hmm. and we've seen, you know, 2040 look more, in my eyes, more stagnant, more polished. Um, it's, oh, you know, we use more matting, so there's less image on the frame to kind of allude to a more constricted life. And then, you know, in 2016, we have a little bit warmer color palette, a little bit more passion to the way it's shot to allude to June's more vibrant lifestyle at that time. So there's always a reason why something's framed a certain way or, you know, why we made the decision that we did. But it all came out of a conversation between me and Julia. Now, did you shot list or storyboard for this one? Because so many of the scenes, these interiors are very visually dependent. Yeah, um, we did. Yeah, we we started. We didn't share the shot listed together. We went to a coffee shop um, and sat there and said, "What if we did this? What if we did that?" Um, and you know, we everything was very choreographed. It, or anything that had to do with the wormhole. Mm -hmm. And that really was always a giant question mark because I didn't know what the wormhole was going to look like at the end of the day. So it was always a, 
oh, I think they'll walk over here and then the wormhole will envelop them. And we, everything was very hypothetical, the wormhole, but everything else was very choreographed. And I have to say, the visual effect you use for the wormhole, it looks really cool. <laughs> It really looks cool. And I love the way that it's bright. Very bright, bright white. It's intensified GE white light bulb white. Um, and it it feels like a curtain parting. Just, you know, fabric, yeah, I mean, fabric opening. For it to look like, um, I'm trying to think of what I could say on, on the show. Um, a womb? Uh, oh, yeah, I, trust me, I know what it is you're thinking of. We are not Ricky yeah. Gervais. We're not Ricky Gervais and, uh, talking about Judy Dench and cats. We're not going to go there. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, having um, said that, everybody was, now knows. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's super small attention. And then it looked very odd. Like we had different drops of a wormhole that um, were more. Uh, receptive. I'm mean, mm-hmm. it receptive and feminine. Um, and it just looked weird, to be honest. So we went with that shocking white because um, it should be a rip in time and space, and it should be an unknown time and space that they go right. to in between trips. And I like the idea that it's that white that uh, separates him. It's, a, it's kind of a more positive journey. Mm-hmm. So we yeah. Like, you don't get a fear. It's not a fearful. It's almost like, you know, a bright white that people talk about, you know, when they die and they're brought back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I re- but I really like it because you don't expect it. And mm. it's very striking and it catches your eye and your intention, your attention. So you're actually sitting there watching and you go, whoa. So <laughs> when that happens, Allison you're actually you're doing mirroring exactly what Allison is doing on screen of whoa what was that um and it's not the kind of movie that you would think you'd get one of those moments in let alone two well and that was the goal right so that opening scene which is my favorite thing I've ever done <laughs> it's a long scene it's about seven minutes and it's supposed to be a little bit of a um bait and switch you're supposed to I mean the whole for me as a director, is for me to be like, this is a relationship comedy, settle into this conversation. It's um, true to life, and we're just going to go with our regular relationship comedy self until, kaboom, the bug is pulled out from underneath the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully we are in a state of shock and confusion and um, taken aback so that we're on a little bit more of a wild, unstable footing for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it definitely works. Definitely works. <laughs> now, I've got to ask you about Troy Harrion and your score. You oh. have some really nice, soft scoring happening that you then punctuate with needle drops. So I'm, yeah. I'm curious about the musical design of the film on the whole um, because the, the needle drops that you have are very purposeful. They mimic, they mirror, they support particular story beats. But then you've got the score itself. 
it's lovely. So you, Thank you. you, yeah, you have these different, you have these different elements that you wouldn't really think about putting together, but they work for the themes of this film. Well, I think um, the guiding light for that was picking songs that either sounded old or weird. I know that sounds strange, but, um, you know, the opening song, like an indie girl group song, it has kind of a sheen of nostalgia to it. The way that the audios are treated, um, the microphone, it feels retro. Um, and the same treatment is kind of in the center of the song that Edward and June dance. But the score has synthesizers and vocals, and we use a tune-yard song. And I think, um, and there's also a very electronic pop-sounding song from this band called Diane. So it was always to look backwards and forwards, have a new song that sounded old, um, or to do something very atypical and have it be more ambient or vocal in the score um, instead of just like a load of violin or or something like that. Yeah, I really, I really like, like this score. I actually like it better than one of the Oscar nominees this morning. Um, (laughs) Well, Troy is going to jump up and down at that compliment. (laughs) I'm score is so important to me with a film score and sound design. Um, and your sound also, you really make great distinction with your talking little orange Big Brother series that are on all the damn walls, including next to the toilet um, <laughs> and above the toilet paper. But I have to point out the toilet paper, even in 2040, is done correctly going over, not under. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you really did pay attention to the important things in life, Liz. <laughs> Every woman is going to see that and they're going to go, aha, (laughs) yes, yes, we know. So now you've made it through your second film, your second feature. What did you learn this go around as a director about yourself that now will buttress you as you make more films and hopefully sooner, hopefully sooner rather than later? I think there are a few things. One is, um, I feel like I got through my first film, Bread and Butter, through uh, sheer luck. And somehow we made it, right? It's like all the elements came together and and I was just lucky to have made it. And that having made a second feature, I feel like a little bit more confident in knowing what it takes to put a project together and that it isn't just fortune. It is a lot of hard work and a lot of... Uh, collaborating with the right people and uh, being positive and constructive, constructive as you, you know, proceed for any project. So one was just the recognition that um, it wasn't just an accident that we made one movie. We were able to make two and we're going to make three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I learned was that directing, the directing I, as a kid, I thought directing was, saying magical, mystical things to equally magical and mystical figures like actors and inspiring performances and um, 
there was like a mysterious scene around it. And now it feels like, no, directing is logistical. Directing is managing politics and personalities and just keeping the ship moving. So um, I'm a lot more level-headed about it now. Was there anything this second time around that surprised you? Um, I, I won't say who it was, but there were actors who got self-conscious or maybe even um, insecure at times. And that was always very surprising to me. I never anticipated, I never anticipated that. So remembering that everyone is human <laughs> and, um, you know, everyone can be vulnerable and that just making sure you're there to be a stable force for your team is, is super important. Oh. Well, Liz, unfortunately, we're all out of time today. Um, <laughs> I am so thrilled that you could come uh, back on the show again. You. I love you having too. you. Uh, and I love this film. Uh, and where can, every, where can everyone see Speed of Life? Uh, well, on our website, speedoflifefilm.com, we have a little tab that says how to see. So you can get the direct links there. But we're on Apple TV, you know, through iTunes or your Apple TV, uh, Amazon Video, Google Play, Voodoo. We're on cable VOD. Um, we're going to be on Showtime in the spring. Ooh. And we're also on the school blockchain platform breaker right now. Oh, the blockchain yeah. platform. That's a relatively new one, isn't it? Yeah, it's really exciting. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's my first time learning what blockchain is. <laughs> so we're figuring it out. Well, yeah, it's going to, I want to know how that turns out. I always like, yeah, you know, I want to know how that turns out. Well, Liz, thank you so much. You come you. back anytime you want. I love having you. Okay, that's lovely. I love having you, you on the well. show, Liz. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you again soon. Okay, bye. Thank Thanks, you. Liz. Bye-bye. And that was writer-director Liz Manischel talking about her new film, Speed of Life on every digital platform known to mankind. And that's very exciting. It's going to be on Showtime this spring. Um, so that is all the time we have today. Uh, next week, we've got Jay Dockendorf joining us. And uh, either next week or the following week, we definitely will have an Oscar nominee joining us. Uh, and it may surprise some of you who it is. Um, but I'm just waiting for confirmation on which date this individual is available. So, happy Oscar nominations day. Stay tuned. We'll be talking more about Oscars in the weeks to come. Um, I will get uh, Miha, uh, Miha's interview up on BehindTheLensOnline.net. Uh, you can find my reviews and interviews and more in the U.S. and abroad in print and online 24-7 and always. BehindTheLensOnline.net. Uh, hey, and if you're in the local in the L.A. area, I'm now in the pen name. They're now carrying uh, a lot of interview pieces uh, as the months go by. So that's an, a new place to find me. Uh, so until next week. 
I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. 